0: Welcome to The Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear the story of someone strong enough to bear it all. The Naked Podcaster is a representation of freeing yourself, giving you permission to be real in all your quirkiness, baggage, struggles to success, and tragedy to triumph. I'm so excited you're joining the journey. Your past doesn't define you, but it does lead you on a path to today. Let's get naked. Dear husband, and we can go into that, and then you also have CouchToActive.com, and you've won six awards from your book.
1: Woohoo. Yes. Woohoo. And I'm it's going, so I'm going for seven. I want to get seven because that's just a cooler number. So
0: okay. I have two more chances. So we'll see. <laughs> tell, me, tell me about both of these independently and what you do to help people. Sure. Sure. So in a
1: nutshell, couch to active, it's not couch to 5k that is, uh, has been around for about 20 years. Where You know, you get a workout program, you know, walk this much on Monday and this much on Tuesday, and eventually, ta-da, you can do a 5K. That's not it at all. It is the helping folks figure out that exercise motivation piece and how to just get off the couch and exercise in the first place. And I know, I know. Most of us aren't just sitting around on the couch all the time. We're just got a lot going on, and so do I. And so that was really where Couch Detective came from. And the book uh, published last year, and it, it has. I'm so thrilled. It's just sweeping the health and fitness and aging over 50 health um, category, which is pretty, pretty darn exciting. You're not then, 50. I'm 46. All right. Woo. Yes. Yes. 58. Rock on. All right. <laughs> We're getting there. Yeah. Getting and, there. and the and the Limburgs is uh, my husband's Eric Limburg. He's the grandson of Charles Limburg, the aviator that flew from New York to Paris in 1927. And we have been thinking for a long time about s- trying to figure out what kind of a project we could do together. Yet... We were also kind of nervous about it because we wanted to make sure we could stay married, too. And, you know, I mean, this is, like, really important. Yeah. And uh, I started my podcast for Couch to Active, and he's like, what's a podcast? And then later, we, long story short, we came up with the idea for this one, and it's called The Limbergs, and it's about – us and we get to meet a lot of amazing, awesome people in the world. And so we bring them in and do similarly. We dive deep and we say, tell us about the hardships and, and how did you get through that and continue to thrive rather than staying stuck. And um, that's what the hopes that people will be inspired for their own life to realize that most of these public figures you see in the news and media, not most of them all of them have incredible, difficult things they've gone through, but we just, we don't see them because they're in the past. And we're usually just tweeting and Instagramming highlights of today, not, you know, the hardships of the past. So we bring those to light. Yeah. Excellent. Tell me about the awards you've won for the book. Cause there's six, maybe seven. Six, six with two, two more, maybe. Uh, it's really the, uh, I shouldn't look them up, but the best book awards, international book awards. Um, there's a New York book showcase uh, that it won cover design, which um, the design firm Weller Smith who designed the cover for me is so excited to have you know, <laughs> the book award. Um, yeah. So it's essentially when you, uh, this is a self-published book with, uh, professional help, um, professional help. <laughs> that sounds like uh, something else. But, uh, when you do that, you can submit your book for, there's all kinds of, um, book awards. Um, and most of them are, you know, submit for this book award for, you know, only 69.95. You too can be, a. you know, uh, but thousands of books enter to each of these. So it's just been exciting to be, uh, winning the awards. Yeah. That is amazing. Well, it is amazing when you realize, I had horrible reading comprehension until my 20s. I struggled in, yeah, I struggled in school writing. I would, I was a horrible writer. I I remember uh, my husband at the time graduated from college and I made him a big congratulations sign for the house and I spelled congratulations wrong on the banner. I mean, I was just bad and, but to know that I've been able to work through that, and with support of an editor, a really good editor, um, was able to publish an award-winning book. So it's exciting. Holy cow! Let's, I know.
0: I, we that's I mean, I always tout this statistic because it's so huge. Eighty-five percent of people who want to write a book don't. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. there's thousands and thousands of books published every year, mm-hmm. and so imagine how inundated it would be with books if everybody did it. And when you overcome odds like that, I'm a self-published author also. And all right, once you do it and you know how hard it is, man, you're high-fiving everybody that yeah. does it. But totally. anything that you have on top of that, that makes it more difficult, it's that much more difficult. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. In fact, when I, uh,
1: before I wrote the book, I wrote my website and was blogging and I, I had an editor cause, um, uh, quite honestly, one of my dearest best friends, um, Terry. So hello, Terry, you need to listen to this podcast. She nicely pulled me aside and said, your business is going to fail. If you keep sending things out with typos in it, And she's like, I love you and you need to know this. So I hired the editor and which was a big deal for me, um, at the time and everything she edited, I had her also return a track changes copy and I studied all my errors and mistakes and yeah. And in the book I studied it and now I'm, I can write like entire blog articles with no typos. It's it's amazing. And I'm 46. And this just happened in the last three years.
0: That's so uh, awesome. But there's, I mean, there's hope. Awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, I love the fact that you could have just hired an editor, which is the best money you can spend at the beginning of writing a book. Yes. <laughs> not at the end, not when you think you're done. Um, correct. But you could have just hired them and let them correct things. You could hire a VA and let them correct things, but you took it a step further and,
1: learned from it. Part partly because I knew I had to become a better writer because I wasn't sure I could afford one all for everything I wrote, and I was too impatient to uh, to have somebody edit all my stuff. But um, but here's an example: if somebody's out there listening and they, they struggle with reading comprehension, here's how bad of a reader I was. <clears throat> in college, I took a literature course sophomore year in college, and I had to read a hundred pages a day of just shakespearean stuff and all kinds of stuff my and every single day in class we had a quiz on what we read my quiz scores were so bad that i quit reading at all and they're multiple choice quizzes and my quiz scores yeah i know you know you see what's coming my quiz scores were the same and i went to my professor and i'm like your quizzes are bogus it doesn't matter if i read anything and um But then near the end of the semester, there was one thing that he gave us that was like this, uh, uh, not soft porn, because you can't do that in college, but like about as close as that as you can get to it. And for some reason, I totally understood that and read it and got all the questions on that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. my hero? That's all that means. (laughs) (laughs) There's something about sex in it. I guarantee I'm going to get 100% on that.
1: (laughs) I'm going to read that one. (laughs)
0: So, So, back take us back to your journey. Let's hear more about the struggles because that's a big struggle. Mm -hmm. Wait, first of all, yes. Did you finish college? Uh, uh, Not only did I finish
1: college, I was uh, I finished early. So this was before, you know, back in the day, right? We went to college and there was no such thing as running start. And, you know, everybody started at ground zero. And I went to my uh, professor and I was always a hyper-focused, like eager to please kind of girl, um, very much an 80s, you know, pleaser, pleaser woman. And um, I realized if I took some summer courses, I could potentially graduate a semester early. And I went to my academic advisor and I said, hey, if I do this, will you graduate me early? And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, and save my dad $15,000. Um, <laughs> because that's the, the tuition way back then. Uh, if only it was so cheap nowadays. Um, and she said, no, she's like, nobody does that. Nobody ever does it. And, and you need to play and you need to be human. And I'm like, yeah, but I want to do this. Could I, could I? And after 12 rounds of that, I finally said, okay, I know you don't think I will, but if I did, would you graduate me early? And she said, yeah. And that's what I did. And that's actually one, my one thing I would, if I could have a do-over, I would not have done that. Really? Why is that? Because when you graduate early, there's like long-term there was really no upside for me. I just hit the workforce sooner while all my friends were still having fun in college. And I didn't play enough, I didn't have enough fun. And yeah, and at the time I thought, oh, I'm this hyper-performer, look at me, I'm so great. you know. But looking back, I was like, oh man, I just didn't know how to play like I wish I did, yeah. So
0: the, the college counselor, the advisor was kind of correct.
1: I'll I'll never admit that. (laughs) (laughs)
0: What was your degree
1: in? Uh, Education. Education. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually, yeah, well, it's funny because I actually wanted originally to be a psychiatrist. And I went, I was raised um, ultra conservative. I am uh, no longer anymore. Um, but definitely raised ultra-conservative Bible-thumping, you know, hallelujah, praise the Lord, all that. And my my family lovingly, lovingly, with all the love and care in the world said, not my family, one, my dad, said, well, that would be dumb because by the time you graduated, you would be $100,000 in debt and barefoot and pregnant at home, taking care of little kids. And I was like, huh. So I went and talked to my academic advisor in high school, who was also a religious school, and she told me the same thing. And so I said, "Oh, I guess they're right. I should just get just a four-year degree then." And um, and I've always, that I always have regretted that, and that might be partly why I have the podcast and why I always dig deep on it because. I can then like pretend I'm a psychologist when I'm really not. You know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> did all of us have de- degrees in psych in the eighties? I mean, that was my minor. I did. Oh, was it? Oh yeah. Nice. yeah. I think a lot of us, and I don't know if it, uh, you know, I had a conversation recently and I said, I think our parents generation, if you look at the sections of generations, mm-hmm. ours was the most unhealthy. And the person was like, no, And looked it up and our parents were overwhelmingly the least healthy and going through the 70s and stuff, they were a little screwed up relationship wise. I think our generation really wanted to figure stuff out and kind of fix things. Yeah. And a lot of us went into different, our our goal was we're going to fix some of what's broken. Oh yeah. You know, you end up being broken in a totally different way. So. Yep, exactly.
1: Yeah, we all, we all end up in therapy when we're 30, one way or another. So,
0: yeah. You know, now ahead of time, and don't worry about it.
1: If you think you're alone, you're not alone. Your friends just aren't telling you something. Exactly.
0: We <laughs> should start group therapy for people that want to laugh about it. Exactly. But other than, well, thank you for answering that question. But for someone with a reading comprehension issue through your 20s, I just, I'm very proud that you finished your degree in education, no less. So, oh, that's yeah. awesome. I'm just giving a shout out to you. Good job. Well, thank you. Thank
1: you. I did have a couple of times. I remember I, I spelt, um, I was teaching kindergarten. And I made a big, big mural on the wall and I spelt the word bowl. I spelt it bowels. I still I know that was like 25 years ago or whatever and I'm still I was so mortified forever and I remember just hearing some parents say like how could somebody be a teacher when they can't even spell I was like oh I actually was a good teacher but I just couldn't
0: spell (laughs) well you know kindergarten's a good place for that they can't read yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) So now we'll go back. Now that yeah. we answered all those questions, nah. be back to wherever, wherever you want to, to start talking about diving deep. Ah, uh,
1: you know, I I alluded a little bit to just how I was raised ultra religious, and I, I bit perfectly into that box even though i'm not a fan of boxes and i'm a huge fan of anti-stereotypes anti you know but i fit right into that box of someone who was raised with a very strong structure to believe if i did a b and c then d e and f would happen in my life and when i got to my 30s I realized I was um, done with the religion I was raised in. And that's a really hard, that's like a, you know, five year, 10 year journey to pull out of that. And um, I was done with my marriage. Um, but I tried like mad for 10 years to, to try to just keep it together. Cause I didn't want to be branded a divorced woman back then, which is now I'm like, I'm proud of it. I'm like, you know, it's, and I've remarried and 10 years later um, but at the time just that having something about me that wasn't perfect was was mortifying Um, now I embrace it now I totally embrace it Um, but around that same time um, I had seven deaths in the family we had a 35 year old got hit by a car my dad got cancer and died at 60 in five months I had lost all my grandparents got divorced moved got laid off, got a new job, had a baby, and the baby was sick. I mean, like, I was off the charts, stressed out. I I had about three years of my life that I call my dirty 30s because I knew in my head that I could feel happy and that I could feel joy again. But in my heart, I honestly, honest to God, wondered and really didn't know how that could ever be possible. And and I don't think there was anything anybody could have said to me for those years that would have had me really believe I could feel true happiness or lightheartedness or joy again. Um, it was just just a really, really hard, hard, dark time all the way around. And and I was single mom in it, and I was, I live in Seattle area, so I was on the east side of Seattle near the Microsoft campus, and uh, my uh, job was in Pioneer Square in Seattle, so it's a half-hour commute if there's no traffic, <laughs> and so I would have to be out the door at 7.15 in the morning with my toddler as a single mom, get them dropped off, go work with really tough clients, and try to get home and through traffic. And I mean, that was, that's all I did. That was my life for, for about 10 years. And, um, it wasn't until I'd been divorced several years and hadn't been to a funeral in about a year that I finally decided, you know, there's this new thing out there called (laughs) (laughs) match.com. Oh my gosh! i know i know and and for someone like me who thought you know I was getting married till death do you part and to you know just felt so scandalous and um it was a transition it was a journey for me to to spend you know another eight years dating and uh one amazing wonderful long term relationship um uh but most of it most of it single and just meeting all kinds of Interesting and really weird people. So, so the seven
0: deaths in your family, which is crazy. What was the uh, time that all of those? Ha- that's crazy. What was the what? What was the so question? The time Sorry. Time that that happened. Was it five months? Three years. Oh, over three years. Okay. Three years. Okay.
1: Over yeah, over three over three years. And so uh,
0: basically for three years, it just you take a breath and it would be happening
1: again. Oh, I went four years. Where 100% of my sick and vacation time went to funerals and taking care of sick kid, my sick kid, and uh, a divorce. Like seriously, for four years, I did not have a vacation at all. And um, and actually, when I did finally have my first real vacation, I went to Mexico with the boyfriend at the time, and I was so excited. The day I got back from that, I got laid off on that job.
0: So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So let's go back. Okay. So the divorce, first of all, the divorce happened within that three-year time that all the deaths were happening?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It happened when my, it happened a year after we lost my dad, when, when my, when we lost my dad at 60 and I realized that his mom died early sixties and her mom died early sixties and I was 30, I, I had an early midlife crisis. I realized, oh my gosh, I am having no fun. I'm doing, I was still in my rut of working too hard and no play thinking someday I'll retire and have fun. And I was like, wait a minute, this is probably all bullshit. I'm like saving all kinds of money that somebody else will spend someday and I'll have an entire life of never doing anything that I want to do. And so that's what motivated me to really start thinking about what I wanted to do. And the new job I got gave me some really great opportunities to see myself in a new light. And so I actually lost my marriage the same year I was promoted in my job. It was just part of that transformation or metamorphosis that was happening um, to me those years. I was, I was growing up.
0: And <laughs> you guys had one child.
1: Yeah, one wow. kid. Yeah, He's awesome. He's high school now. He's taller and stronger than me. Of course. That yes. happens
0: to a lot of them. I know. I know. My, with my boys, they're like, Mom, am I taller than you? And I'm like, dude, I want you to be taller. I'm 5'8". You know, like, I, I want you to be taller than I am. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm out gunning for you, buddy. I'm gunning for you. Come on. Come on. So, so one child, how involved was your ex-husband with your son? Um, he, he actually has always been
1: involved, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. He's, he's, he's always been, been involved and he's, his son has been the, the love of his life. So, um, and no parents are perfect. I'm not perfect. Um, but I really believe that if there isn't abuse and there isn't a safety concern that in my situation, it was, it's better for my son to have a dad even if he's not perfect, because I'm not a perfect mom. And, and now, you know, 10, 12, 13, oh my gosh, 13 years. We've been divorced 13 years. Jeez, time flies. Um, um, Why? Well, I just realized we've been divorced longer than we've been married. Wow, milestone. I should have celebrated. Um, <laughs> anyhow, uh, that, that, that was just something I, I, a value I held on to. And it was, it's not always been easy. Sometimes it's really hard, um, but it's in the long run, I think it's been good for my son. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I agree. I, I was in the same situation. I just ask because being a single parent is really difficult, even when you have an ex that you work pretty well with. Yeah. And yeah, you have to let go of stuff. Like, I don't care if you do things differently. If it's not physically or morally harmful, like it's your rule. I, I don't care. Yeah. Um, my way isn't the best way. It's my way. So, yeah. right. That's, yeah. That part was good. So that was good. At least you had that, but I can completely relate. All single moms out there can relate to the, I don't like the word grind because it feels so exhausting. No, that's <laughs> the
1: right word. That's the right word. Oh, that's totally the right word. I mean, when we, when we, um, when we lost my dad, uh, I was still married but my husband and I were talking about getting divorced but we didn't say anything to my dad because we knew he was on his way to the grave and we're like we're just gonna let him let him just go thinking and we lived 200 miles from him and um but then when my dad passed away I was that whole winter I didn't sleep four hours straight and I didn't realize it till spring came and after my dad passed, I was like, oh my gosh, yay, finally, like we're done with the cancer, we're done with the funeral. And then my son got sick and he was, you know, had me up all the time. And I just remember that was about when we got divorced is there were times, um, I joked around with, with my husband now on our second date, we were talking about, um, you know, random questions when you're dating, you try to think of what to talk about. And one of them was like, what random weird skill do you have? And I told him, I'm really good at cleaning bar out of carpets. And, <laughs> and apparently he didn't tell me, but apparently that kind of freaked him out. Uh, but my son was like, I remember one morning, I was suited up for work. I had to go to the clients. It was an important meeting. It was a sales meeting, and just before I'm leaving, my son barfed all over his room, all on the carpet, on the floor, and I had to go. And so I was that mother who gave my son Tylenol. I took a wet towel and just laid it on top of the barf and left for work. And I was like, I dropped him off at daycare, I knew the Tylenol would give me two or three hours before they called and said he had a fever. (laughs) Oh, he has a fever? Oh, I'm so sorry. I'll come pick him up. Got to my client meeting, came home and picked in, you know, and then I get out of my suit and I'm taking care of the sick kid and on my hands and knees, grab on barf out of carpet. And and it's funny because actually just a few weeks ago, uh, now that, you know, their boys are teenagers, one of them came over and he ate, like, half a pizza and, like, 15 meatballs and a half gallon of milk. And he ended up barfing the whole thing in our living room. And my husband now was so happy I had that superpower skill.
0: <laughs> so life, life, I you tell you. Oh, gosh, He yeah. didn't know it was a second date resume, but... <laughs> I, I was like, "Now are you glad?" He's like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> so, so yeah. What were my, you doing for work when you got laid off, and then the new job? Can you take oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So my degree was in education. So I spent six years teaching elementary school, and then in around ninety nine two thousand in the dot com boom, uh, I was one of those teachers who left. Uh, teaching for a higher paying, lower stress job. And um, I, I skilled myself up. I, again, working too hard. I spent my summer break skilling myself up and uh, was able to get a job developing online courses for um, what was AT&T Wireless at the time. Wow. Yeah. I know. Yeah. And I actually interviewed with them and the manager said, oh, you've got potential, but you need to learn this and this and come back in a year. And so I did and I got the job and then I went back to, let's see, this was in like 2000 and no 99. And at the time I was teacher as a teacher with master's level, I was earning 26,000 a year and my entry level offer was 50,000 a year plus benefits for corporate. So I went to my, my principal and I said, here's the offer I got. And he said, congratulations. He's like, we can't, there's you you teacher, they can't negotiate. There's nothing they can do. Um, So I went corporate and I never looked back to teaching. But then after 20 years of that, I was like done, done with the corporate rat race. (laughs) <laughs> and just frustrated with um, just how sedentary the lifestyle was, and it was a constant struggle. I mean, when I was teaching, I could eat whatever I want and because I was always on my feet, walking around and doing things with kids and the second I got my corporate job, it was like my body felt like it was dying, and it was it was hard to sit and I all of a sudden had to watch everything I ate or the scale would just go tick, 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 tick. And it was just so frustrating, but I'd get home from work and I'd be so exhausted and, and there was no summer break, you know? <laughs> um, and so that's where the thoughts around couch to active came from was just dissecting and analyzing what was holding me back. What was making exercise hard for me? And that I just, went into research mode, again, working too hard, uh, but loving it. And um, that birthed Couch to Active.
0: How much weight did you gain and how old were you and how did that affect you in other ways? And I want to get into illness also. Your- oh
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, not much. So at first it was 10 pounds and I freaked out and I got it off. I was, I was totally one of the, those people who like watched their weight way, way too much and was had that horrible negative self-talk and tied my self-worth to a number on the scale. Um, and um, I'm no longer that way anymore. Um, <laughs> and then actually now um, in my mid forties, I ended up with three chronic illnesses that, yeah. So um, I just, my, my, I just I worked myself to death in a way. Is I just worked too hard for too long. Let myself get stressed over things I shouldn't have, and so um, I ended up with uh, fibromyalgia. Which is, uh, if folks who don't know that, it's essentially you. You kind of feel like you have the flu, or you feel like you're in a lot of pain but your blood work is good. Your, there's no other symptoms. You don't actually have a fever. It's, it's really debilitating. Uh, and you don't know what days it'll hit you and what days it won't. Um, so you end up in this rat race of chasing anything and everything to figure out what is it and solve that problem of what, how can I fix, how can I fix myself? <laughs> um, and then I ended up with some just nasty GI issues and, um, And we've got it under control, but it was like, it was, I learned that GI, gastrointestinal issues, is something women don't like to talk about, Um, unless you open up and you're vulnerable yourself, which is what I did. And I have discovered, ladies listening, we all have GI issues, like every single one of us.
0: I have no idea actually what's normal. I have no (laughs) (laughs) idea. Because I could be totally. I, no, I know I'm not. But yes, we all have issues. Well, and it's different because what what was it? The stress and working too much, and the self esteem, and like all of that tension that created your GI issues. I I think it was that. I think it was the fibromyalgia
1: popping up from the stress and just the trauma of all the deaths and funerals and everything. And, um, and the GI issues we think is possibly part of that. And also just, um, certain foods I shouldn't have been eating forever and ever and ever. Um, cause my dad was actually, um, diagnosed celiac before anybody even knew what gluten was or what celiac was or anything. And there was no such thing as GF or gluten-free menus. Like that didn't even exist. Um, and, uh, So yeah, so it's complicated where I'm still always in trying to figure out and get it all balanced out. Um, And then the other one is I'm missing 30% of my lung function and we don't know why. Yeah. And I think some of that I might've been born with because um, cardiovascular workouts has always been hard for me yet. I'm a group fitness instructor. I'm a certified trainer. I'm a certified Pilates instructor. All these things. (laughs) Yeah. Cardio was really, really hard for me. And I was actually misdiagnosed with asthma for five years. I was going to ask you that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I was, I went through about five years of every different kind of steroid and asthma med you could think of. And I got so frustrated and I was like, this isn't helping. This is, and finally I just took myself off of all of it. I was like, I don't care if I end up in the ER, I'm done with all these, you know, (laughs) and um And then I told my, my pulmonary specialist and he's like, uh, let's do another test to make sure you actually have asthma. And apparently there is a definitive test you can do. And I never had asthma. I have something else.
0: I was going to ask if you had asthma, if that was why you had a decreased lung, what was the definitive test and how did they figure out what you had?
1: Yeah, so they well they're they're not really sure exactly what I have. I just have basically the amount of oxygen the way my lungs process oxygen is um about 30% less than average for people that are my age. And so um I saw in a paper once it said I have a lung age of 70. I mean, that doesn't mean I'm going to die in 20 years, but.
0: Um. <laughs> I wasn't going there. Yeah. But after, I didn't <laughs> clear that one up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But that's terrible.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, oh man, you know, but the thing about it is finding that out was so good for me because it, it helped me to begin to have compassion for myself and, And even though the fibromyalgia is tough and the GI issues are tough or loose or whatever you want to call them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let me tell you, there's uh, some great cocktail hours that (laughs) maybe you don't want to be part of. Um, It's given me tremendous compassion for people who deal with chronic pain and chronic issues. Because if you haven't been through it, you you just can't understand how hopeless it feels no matter how mentally tough or strong you are. It's chronic illness, chronic pain. It's tough. It's really tough. Um,
0: and so for that empathy, I'm really grateful. How quickly or close together did you get diagnosed with all three?
1: Uh, let's see. So that the asthma misdiagnose, the fibro was a year ago the GI issues was less than a year ago, but definitively um, diagnosed about six months ago, and um, and the the lung the you don't have asthma was probably about two years ago.
0: Okay, but so fairly uh-huh. close together. And I I was diagnosed with ex, with asthma also, and size yeah. induced, and they put me on steroid inhalers. If anybody has been on a steroid, first of all, if you stay on them, God bless you.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. I was with you, they it made me feel so much worse than the asthma. I yeah, a minute. there was just no way that was going to be what my life looked like. Yeah. So those are
1: awful, they're awful. Yeah they're awful in side effects. And one Um, of them, one of them gave me thrush and I'm like Googling what's thrush. And I'm like, this is disgusting. And then they give you this medicine to take care of that. And it's like, made me want to vomit. And I'm like, this is just not how I want to live.
0: No, no, that's, that's a great way to put it. When you're, whether you're misdiagnosed or not, when you're given the alternative, that was not the way, that's not the way you want to live. Yep. Yeah. feeling like that. Absolutely. So, you didn't know about the lung function when you were getting certified as an instructor and plot. Nope. Did you realize that you really struggled comparatively? Because I mean, cardio. Oh, yeah. Cardio. Yeah. Okay. You Oh, didn't. yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. It was a a total blow to my ego. I mean, I I could do low. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm like misachiever. I, you know, rise above. I do, you know, and I really held my self-esteem to things I achieved. And so I would do like there's a Seattle to Portland 200 mile bike ride. And I could do that because it's long and slow. And, um, but I did some triathlons, but I was the slowest swimmer and the slowest runner. And, um, I've done some half marathons and I don't know why I was such a glutton for punishment because like, really, when you see training programs for running and they say, Oh, go out for a three mile easy run. I'm thinking there's such a thing as an easy run. (laughs) I, I have never experienced that. It doesn't exist for me. But I just thought that I was out of shape. I didn't realize I had something else going on.
0: And once you realized that, did you cut yourself a lot of slack? Yeah. Because that was a few years ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It really it really helped me realize I need to have uh, compassion for myself and I need to just quit being, get, get rid of that negative self-talk of, you know, you're no good, you're not good enough, and you just need to try harder, you just shouldn't have, you know, had that glass of wine the night before your run, or, you know, it's like, no, no, I'm, it's
0: okay. Yeah. The negative self-talk, when do you feel like in your memory that started? Because that's usually a teenage, do you ever remember not feeling that way? Is it something that snuck up later in life? You know, that's a hard one
1: to answer because I think, especially being raised ultra-religious, um, I was raised to, be- to believe in a higher power and believe in a, in, in a God and, tr- you know, to let go of my own thinking and just, you know, trust and live. And so I don't know that I had a sense of self, a really strong sense of self at all to be aware of a self-talk. And so it was my 30s when I got a hold of this book. Um, Actually, I met a guy on match.com and I thought he was really cute and I really liked him, but he didn't like me back. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Boo-hoo.
0: It's It's all a good thing. No,
1: no, no, it is a great thing because I (laughs) I love where I am now. But at the time I was like, really? What's wrong with me? Oh, there's my self-talk, right? Yeah. Um, He recommended a book called The Untethered Soul. Um, which was an amazing eye-opener for me. And it actually, for the first time in my life in my, what, late 30s, I learned the concept of that inner voice. I never even really knew it was a thing. Um, and that was when I could start um, looking at it. And um, and I think in the last five years, just as a, as a culture with social media, we've all become a lot more savvy to a lot of these things like self-talk and body positivity and all that.
0: Yeah. That was a rambling long answer. That's good. That's, that's all right. So when you were, if we take it back a little bit, when you were working corporate and I get it, it's 10 pounds. I, I mean, for me, I don't want it to be five pounds this year and five pounds next year and five. It's not just the amount of weight that you put on. It's the creating a pattern possibly. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's yeah. not a healthy or good pattern to create. So I understand. I mean, just 10 pounds is still a pattern that you were creating. That was new and not fun. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At what point did you decide that's when the couch to active launched? How did you get through the body positivity? Then what made you decide uh, what were your hang ups in why you weren't able to get out there and exercise?
1: Oh, you know what? That's, that's actually a great, great question. Cause my, my couch to active journey has actually had, came after I decided to no longer focus on the scale and no longer focus. Oh. Ah, so I got it out of order. No, 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 no. It's good. It's good because um, I just really spent with, with couch to active. When I first started it, I was on that bandwagon of, you know, to be healthy, you have to be thin and you have to lose all your weight and you have to, you know, you'll be happier when you're healthy. And, and I get it. I understand that in the, in the most industrialized nations, being a thin fit woman and being a thin fit white woman is one of the most powerful positions in society and in culture. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's not right to attribute more value of a human to someone who has who's thin and fit versus somebody who has extra weight on them. Um, but it's part of what the culture is. And the more I started studying it and looking at like Linda Bacon's Health at Every Size research, looking at the Biggest Loser contestants. Um, And the white paper that came out about, you know, the weight that they all gained back and learning about metabolically, what was actually really happening to them. Um, And just all of that, I have just actually, after writing Couch Active, let go of uh, weight. And I've been able to really just see people for who they are even more than I ever have before. And it's almost embarrassing to say that because I'd like to say I always saw people for who they are, not what they were. Um, but I'm better at it now more than ever. Yeah. So it's it's a complex topic. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's crazy when, you know, like Nike in their London flagship store last month had their first ever plus size mannequin and it was worldwide news. You know, I mean, it's just, this is crazy. We've got um, such a long... Long road to hall and um, oh, and I, uh, as a fitness influencer, I spent a week at an extreme weight loss resort that was actually managed by a woman who uh, worked who who founded the biggest loser resort and um, and she opened this resort with more of a science based more heart centered Um, focus, not a TV, you know, get the ratings focus. Um, And I got to spend a whole week 24 seven with people who had, you know, 100 to 300 pounds to lose. And I, it was amazing for me, because I just, I learned that folks, people's weight and their journeys is so much more complex than just what they order and what they put in their mouth. It's way more complex
0: than that. Oh, yeah. I mean, healthy yeah. eating is important. I think some people, yep. I look at our culture now and these kids, because I, it's not healthy that obesity is such on the rise. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. our kids are so unhealthy and we're supersizing everything. But I look at the habits of this fast-paced lifestyle and in subsequent generations that that they're not getting more healthy. No, no, it, it he, is sad. It, it is. And,
1: and one of the things that's really helped giving me compassion for the whole topic is um, and, um, oh, and wow, Jen, I was like, I'm going to be funny and jovial, but man, I'm, go, I'm going deep. I can't, this is too no, serious. No, this is, <laughs> good. Yeah. is one of the things that really, really helped me as I dove into this is I realized that we As humans in the United States, when it comes to food and our weight, we aren't doing anything different than what we've done for hundreds of years. We're eating the food available to us, and we're moving our body when we need to. It just so happens that the food available to us and the movement we need to do is completely out of whack for what's healthy for our bodies. And and I've got to say, the more time I've spent with folks who have more than 100 pounds to lose... They have way more self-discipline around food, most of them, than probably most people did a hundred years ago. And they can tell you what, how many calories are in things they know. And it's just, it's just, just, it's the, oh, you want, you want to talk about the food industry and stuff and oh, food oh, deserts? No. We could go in, I know. <laughs> well, it's, it's given me tremendous, it's given me tremendous compassion Um, and, and I don't know that the problem will ever be solved if it's, uh, unless we have more, I'm not a big fan of regulations, but I think we need more regulations around how we feed our nation.
0: Yeah. I also think there should be regulations over what's put on the food or into the food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I have kids and I, we have kids that are fit and in healthy weight ranges. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's fine. And I taught them how to eat healthy. And almost every one of them goes out and doesn't eat healthy when they first live. <laughs> because even though they learned how, they don't know how. Yeah, I, mean, I look at my kids and I'm like, you were raised helping me cook and helping a shop. And uh, how do you not know how? But doing yep. it yourself day, mm-hmm. every single day all of your is far different than More community living, which is what a family is like. Mm -hmm. The kids that aren't exposed to that, to healthy living, I can't even imagine how. Well, I can because I was raised that way, and so I had to figure it out on my own. It's really, really, really hard to figure it out, and you have to be disciplined. Oh, oh, you
1: you do, and and I and it goes even bigger than that. I mean, last week I was at an air show in Wisconsin, and uh, I went. the The food there was awesome, yummy food, but man, if you lived off the food at the air show, you would die young, you know? (laughs) And the grocery store there was so different from my grocery store in Seattle. And I could go to that grocery store, huge grocery store, and buy what I would think, if this was my normal for me, I could buy what I thought was the healthier option of everything and still not have a grocery cart full of healthy food. Yeah. And um yeah yeah Luis is like I oh, keep me on that soapbox all day long. I I really do. I I if I, I I'm not about blame but if I have to point a finger somewhere it's usually for me not at the individual.
0: Well, I know for when you're trying to eat really healthy, one, it's not as available and two, it's expensive. Yeah. So yes. you're almost forced into yeah. Unhealthy options because at the the bottom line is you need to eat something, and then there's this whole. I I think it's hilarious the whole. Well, I'm eating a salad, but it's a Caesar salad. It's got higher fat than the burger. You could have, you know, like, and I just think we're kind of snowballed. Yeah. On top of that, I think it's curious as a side note mm-hmm. on this topic. Yeah, yeah. Infertility is higher for women. Mm-hmm. Um obesity is higher, but also look at how tall the kids are compared to our generation. Like yeah. we're growing really big kids <laughs> and disease is rampant. And it's not disease because attached with obesity. It's not. Yep. Where it used yep. to be one in a million, now it's one in a hundred thousand. Yep. And so in my mind it's coming from food and water. Yeah, it's it
1: really is. It really is our environment. And and yeah. I, I saw, I heard a stat that I I couldn't believe, so I had to look it up to make sure it was true. That seventy percent of Americans age forty and above have a chronic illness. No, excuse me, forty percent have a chronic illness. Seventy percent have more than one. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. I had to look it up. I had to go to Centers of Disease Control and National Institute of Health, and I verified it on both. And yeah, it's it's ridiculous. So our sense of what's normal is obviously not healthy for us.
0: Yeah. No, it's not. So Couch yeah. to Active was born yes. out of your struggle with your weight and your inactivity. Did you pinpoint, because you said, you know, you were wondering, why is it hard for me to work out? I understand. I, I get it. We're tired and- all that stuff but when when we have priorities we figure it out we find yeah. a way if it's a priority yep so what were your <sighs>
1: yeah so so when i looked at what what was it for me and what did i see in the circles around me i realized it was multifaceted and it really had nothing to do with a gym membership or program or a potion or a pill or anything or a diet at all, or, you know, or the right pair of Nike free shoes or what, you know, whatever is the new hot thing, right? Now, <laughs> I, don't I can't help with that, uh, but yes. Let <laughs> I me mean, get those control top yoga pants, you know. I mean, it had nothing to do with that. Uh, but it really was things like self-advocacy skills. I was really good at doing everything for everybody else, but not good at advocating for myself. Or breaking barrier skills of, you know, let me pause and think. What are all my barriers to exercise? And of these, which ones can I influence? Or the social circle and what are, what are all the skills I can use in my social circle to help people even know this is a goal and to help them help me. Um, so it's just all of that stuff that I ferreted out. And then also reality and really um, realizing there is no one-and-done solution when it comes to exercise. I think sometimes we think like, oh, I'm gonna have my plan and on Monday I'll run and on Tuesday I'll swim and on Wednesday and ta-da, it'll be perfect. And then life happens and then we have this self-talk thing where we think we're a failure, when really we're not a failure, it's just life and that's the normal part of the process. So I worked through, how do you work through the normal part of the process? How do you work through holidays? We have we have over twenty holidays a year for most people, if you consider birthdays and holidays and other things. About twenty a year—that's four weeks of exercise, or three weeks of exercise, a whole month that we. Yeah. T-
0: wow. That's yeah. Put it.
1: Yeah, okay. we tend to excuse away, so we look at how do you make plans around holidays. So, just just all of that, and then we we have stereotypes around who does what kind of exercise. So I really challenged myself and people to say, okay, if you're a 400 pound guy and you think yoga sounds like fun, go ahead and try it. And here's some skills to help you go into a yoga class with a bunch of the skinny girls and not feel like such a freak, you know? What I mean, <laughs> um, yeah. Or if you're like a little tiny girl and you want to try, you know, boxing, go for it. And here's what you mentally need to do to help yourself and others
0: around you feel okay with the fact that you're breaking stereotypes. One thing I don't like that I think is prevalent. I don't know about other countries, but I know here is that when you see someone heavier at the gym or in the yoga studio, even the people in the gym in better shape are shaming them like that should be. Yeah. That we should be so accommodating and proud and high-fiving and supporting that person because I can't imagine the journey that it took to walk through the door.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think the more I look into that topic of body size and people at the gym, the, the more I've learned that I can't even make assumptions based on weight because there are you know, really super thin fit people who have tiny, like no self-esteem at all. And they're walking in the gym feeling like everybody's looking at them. And then there's folks who are, you know, 300 pound women who have gone through that journey and they come in and they don't give a shit what people think about them. And they're probably fitter than the skinny girl. And maybe they're even an instructor <laughs> and certified and no anatomy and physiology. Um, and so- to To know that, at, but at the gym, the fat shaming, that with all of that fat shaming or body shaming, is unfortunately still really prevalent. Yeah. It really, really is. Yeah,
0: yeah. So it's a an, and the self talk is a constant thing too. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't like do your eight ball magic eight ball. <laughs> am, I, am I gonna have great self esteem from now on and like future looks good? Yeah. yeah. it doesn't work that way, it's a a constant discussion. Yeah. So what tips and tricks do you have for people out there, other than getting your book and going (laughs) on the podcast, it's won six awards, so you're doing something well, Um, Uh, and you battled your own demons to do it, and I love battling your own demons to make a difference for somebody else, because you're willing to put your ass on the line. Yep. And be okay with that. So I'm thanking you for that. But then what what is that? Let's end on a super happy note. What would you say to people? or What do you say to people that you're coaching? You know, if folks listening
1: today could take only one thing away, I'm going to give you two. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah. But if you could only take one thing away, I would say first and foremost, Really think about exercise completely out of the box and know that everything you've been told and marketed to about fitness is bullshit. And just know that the reason you're getting marketed to is because somebody has a product to sell you. And there is all kinds of exercise you can do out there that costs you nothing And there is nothing wrong with a gym or a trainer or a yoga class. They're all great. I'm a, I'm a, I'm certified in all of that and I love it, but know that out of the box thinking is great. So think about what is fun for you. What makes you smile and hold on to that. And don't let anybody tell you that the exercise you're doing is not valid because it's not in a gym or it's not on a treadmill or it's not at an official race. Like, just work through that. And then the other thing is be kind to yourself and just know it's a journey. And life is hard sometimes and it's sometimes really hard. And, and that's okay. And sometimes we do have things like my illnesses that are my reality. And I just, when I could be kind to myself, that's when I could really start living and celebrating what I could do rather than beating myself up for what I couldn't do.
0: Amen on that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We didn't even talk about match.com and your new husband. I'm very oh. sad about this because I just, that's okay. I mean, <laughs> when you only have an hour, <laughs> we can- we can talk about that later. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, just put put in the show notes the Lindberghs podcast, and if folks want to yeah. get get to know my hubby, they can. We we call that show our our therapy on the couch that we call the podcast. So
0: nicely it's, done. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Oh, so with me, Lynn and for sharing your story. Thank you, Jen. It's been a pleasure, and great to meet you. Thank you for taking the time to get naked with us. If you'd like to bear it all with me, get in touch. Your story is unique and valuable. Let's show it off.